wants God and he wants to be with God on the other side. For my friend, repentance is a genuine heart change towards God. It's not an, appe- an attempt to appease God. It's a genuine heart change. Question that falls all across this room for us right now. Me and you alike, have we truly repented? Has there been that moment for each and every one of us where we have felt more than sorry for the effects of sin and we have felt sorry for offending the God who made us? Have we repented? Next thing, he realizes his guilt before God and we receive this in the moment right now. We realize our guilt before God. Realize your guilt before God. Look at verse 41. He says, we are punished justly. We are getting what our deeds deserve. He recognizes his guilt, and that's what makes repentance possible. This is an important detail that helps us appreciate exactly what he's saying here. The word the other gospels use to refer to those two criminals hanging on the tree is a Greek word, which is leiste, leiste, which means something like an insurrectionist or they're freedom fighters. So these are guys that opposed the rule of Rome. They're freedom fighters. Now there's no way this this criminal would say he's being fairly or justly put to death by Rome. He believed he was fighting for justice. He believes the thing is corrupt. So what would he then be talking about? He's not talking about Rome's punishment on him on his cross. He's saying we deserve to be abandoned by God. We deserve to be punished for our sins. We deserve before him to die. He recognizes his actual guilt. And repentance recognizes that our sins are first and foremost sins against God. Think of King David, king over all of Israel, and he committed multiple public sins. He had sex with somebody who wasn't his wife. He had someone murdered to cover it up. And he lied to essentially his sergeant in arms and broke a friendship. And in Psalm chapter 51, when he goes to repent, his repentance is against you and you only, God, have I sinned. You're missing some people. What about the dead guy? What about the woman with a broken heart? What about your friend? What about the friendship? God was so big in his mind and in his life. He recognized all these other things are true, but I have, I have sinned against one, one person. I have sinned against God, and I have sinned against others as well. As the question sits with us now, how do you feel about your sin? Repentance has to go vertical before it can ever go horizontal. If we're struggling to forgive one another, if we're struggling to repent before one another, It brings us back into the vertical relationship. Have we received the forgiveness that God has for us? Are we aware of how amazing and costly that forgiveness was to Him? Have we repented our sins to Him? Maybe the the jam and the horizontals worked out by coming back to the vertical. Repentance is measured by a heart change towards God. There's a sadness over sin. There's a sadness over sin because we have hurt the God who made us and we've hurt people around us, whether we love them or not. The only thing wilder than his request is that Jesus grants it. 
Verse th- and, and the third thing I want you to see is that we have to then reach out to God to save us. In verse 42, he says, when you think about it, would you remember me? It's wild. He was just insulting him. Something has come upon him. And he can see in a moment that something has changed. And the only thing wilder than what he's asking for is that Jesus agrees to give it to him. The guy could never go on to do anything useful for him. And yet Jesus grants his request. As the question sits with us this afternoon, we have to consider he's right there. The question is right here. Will you receive it? Four things. We have to receive this gracious pardon from Jesus. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. We're already sitting under condemnation for all of our actions against God. We've all committed cosmic treason. And we need someone to come and set the record straight. No, he sent, the, he sent his son into the world to save the world. And grace is what you show when you really love someone. Here we see the father in Jesus' parable welcoming his lost son. And When he's welcoming his lost son, there's no indication that the father's sitting around pacing on the porch. How much is this going to cost me to welcome this one back in? How much has this one wasted of me? How offended am I right now? How much shame am I going to take on from the people around me if I go through with this? No, no, no. The whole thing seems to indicate he's loving the son. He's cherishing the son. He's wanting the son when the son's away. So in Luke 15, when the father sees the son crest the hill, the father takes off. Because it was, it was cooking in his heart. It's what he's going over and over and over again. My friend, you may feel like you have totally played it out. Genuinely. You may feel like you have told God you're sorry so many times that he's not going to hear one more I'm sorry story. You may feel like your whole life is spoilt. But if you'll only reach out to him, and if you'll only ask that he would remember you, look at the cross of repentance and know that would be enough. So we begin to conclude with this. How does Jesus respond? What does Jesus say? Those are the three crosses. That's the stage. The important leader has a message. He doesn't surround himself with military leaders, doesn't surround himself with Bible teachers, PhDs, and scholars. He doesn't surround himself with business people, doesn't surround himself with prophets and apostles. He surrounds himself with criminals. He says, I just got a few more words to say. How does he respond? Let's take it phrase by phrase. He says, truly, I say to you. Truly is a word that means amen. So at the request of a criminal, Jesus says, amen. He's asked, can I be remembered? He says, certainly. He says, truly, I say to you. I guarantee you this next thing is going to happen. That's what he's saying. He, he, on his own authority, is backing this up for us. Consider the majesty of the one who's speaking here. Very truly, I say to you, amen and amen. You will have what you've asked for, is what Jesus is speaking. He's speaking with royal authority. Is that what you want? That's what you will get. He is happy to grant the request from the cross of repentance. He goes on to to back this up with a series of promises we would do well to pay attention to. He says, truly, I say to you. No, he is not speaking to both criminals. 
know what comes next is not available for all people. He has a specific audience in mind. He's speaking to the repentant one. He is not speaking to the one who rejects him. He's not talking to the one who mocks him. He's only talking to the repentant thief. Jesus doesn't promise the mocking criminal paradise. He does not give assurances and confidences over to him because they do not belong to him. The mocking criminal will not be with Jesus when he comes into his kingdom. Paradise will not have him in it. Jesus loves all the souls of all the guilty people, but he responds to the request of repentance. None of us today, however great our mistakes, have to be excluded from this either, if we'll only hear it. And don't miss just how similar they look. Two awful people, but one won't turn to Jesus and the other will turn to Jesus. Our guilt is undeniable, but we can see his grace is enough. So he says, truly, I say to you today, that very same day. Now, this goes against a a, a massive lie that has honestly caused a lot of people more confusion than help. It's the idea of when we die, do we go straight to Jesus? Or when we die, do we have to hang out in purgatory for a minute? It's the idea, when we die, do we have soul sleep? Do we fall asleep, wake up, and enter in? Or the idea that we die and we have to go somewhere to pay up our sin. It's it's, it's chance you have no Catholic background at all, but the, the, the enemy has just planted something on you where you're thinking, even though the cross, even though I trust in him at death, I'm still gonna have to pay this up somehow. All different sorts of religions blur this for us. So our question is, when do we get to be with Jesus? And the criminal asks a timing question to which Jesus provides a timing answer. You pair up all the A's and B's of the conversation and it goes like this. And he said to Jesus, and Jesus said to him, Lord, remember me, thou shalt be with me. When you come into your kingdom, today you will be with me in paradise. Believer, I want want you to have confidence today. Confidence that will help you go to work on Monday morning. Confidence that will help you endure a hard conversation with a family member. Confidence that can help as as family members are growing old and ill and close to death. Jesus says, today. Other scriptures support this. Paul is saying that he could leave the body right now and go be with Jesus. Paul's understanding, I'm either here with you or I'm in his presence. These are the only two places I will ever exist. This is helpful. This is really helpful. This is helpful when the worries start to come and the anxiety starts to come in and we get to fearing people around us and we get to cowering under HR standards. We can hang on to this. It's the idea in Hebrews 12.1 that there's a great cloud of witnesses who are conscious and aware. Hebrews 12.23 talks about the spirits of the righteous are made perfect. They're continually worshiping God. The spirits of the righteous are continually aware of God. Those who have died trusting in Jesus, they are consciously aware right now worshiping God for who he is. Believer, you will be here or you will be with him, but there is nowhere else to go. There is no place you're going to have to go and apologize some more. There's no bank you're going to go to unload some more debt. There's nothing you can ever do to completely pay him back. At the cross, it gets finished. So he says, today you will be with me. Today. No separation. You're not going to have to hang out. You're not going to have to wander around. You're not going to be led to some dark room. You're going to sit around with some other spirits wondering if anybody's going to touch you in a weird way. You are going to be with him in a minute. 
Close your eyes here. Open your eyes there. Let this just fill you with confidence today. Revelation 6 and 7, John had a vision of what was happening in heaven, and he saw people worshiping before God's throne, and that was before the second coming stuff, which is in the 20s, 20, 21, and 22. The indication is we're going to go from this, and we're going to be with him there. We're going to have to sit around and wonder. We're not going to have to wait. We're not going to have this awkward, insecure time. It's like, am I supposed to go in this door or this door? No, you're just going to be with him. In a moment, you're going to be with him. Jesus seems to have this as his very belief. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Here I come. The same is true of all our loved ones who died believing in Jesus. That is where they are. With him. They're not hanging out in some box. They're not standing around some spiritual room. They're with him. And when you die trusting in Jesus, you will be with him too. Truly, I say to you today, you will be with me. The promise is that he will always be with us. In our life, we live by the Spirit. And in the life to come, we're going to see him face to face. And nothing can separate us, my friend. Nothing. Nothing on Monday morning can separate you. Nothing on a bad call on Tuesday can separate you. Nothing in the rest of 2023 can separate you. Another another. Bad piece of news, a failed pregnancy test, another broken heart. Nothing can separate you from his love. Romans 8, 35 to 39 says, what shall separate us from this love of Christ? What? Trouble? No. Hardship? No. Persecution? No. Famine? No. Nakedness? No. Danger? No. Sword? No. As it is written, for your sake we are facing death all day long. We're considered like sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor things present, nor things future, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friend, let me take this to another level with you. When you turn to Jesus, nothing separates you from Jesus. Even your sin, like being in here today, And just one of those sins that happens upon any one of us in the next 24 hours, that sin doesn't separate you from Jesus. Nothing stands in your way. You are with him, and he is with you, and you will close your eyes here, and you will be fully restored with him for all of eternity. He is the source of our wholeness. He is the source of our peace. He is the source of our rest. And to be with Christ is the climax of all hope for a believer. Philippians 1 2 Corinthians, Paul confirms that he had a tough run in ministry. And he says in there, he's like, look, but I'm not going to take life into my own hands. I'm not going to do it. He says, for Christ, I'm going to endure and be with you. But make no mistake, it'd be better to be with him. Convinced he's going to close his eyes and the best thing's going to happen. He's going to be with him. Once we die, we'll get to see Jesus and it's going to be great. So it helps us interpret this world, light and momentary afflictions. That's it. You you add up the light and momentary stuff here, and look, some real broken hearts, some real abuse, some real mistreatment. I am not making light of any of it. I am comparing it to the weight of glory that awaits. It's ultimately light and momentary. It's here for a few minutes, and we're with him forever. Truly, I say to you, Today, you will be with me in paradise. 
I love that he doesn't speak in some vague way. He's being incredibly concrete. Paradise comes from a Persian word that God's people had in their vocabulary at the time. Uh, when they were, they, were, they were doing some captivity time in Persia, when they, when they made their way out, they actually carried this word with them. Uh, the, the word means an enclosed garden or a park or the garden of a king. And they had this word they would use to talk about the king's garden. When the Jewish people left the Persian empire, they were taking this word and they were using it. Jesus knew what the word would be. Genesis 1 and 2, they, they believed that there was some sort of like king's garden that people used to get to live in. And they were believing one day there's going to be a king's garden that people were going to get to live in. The idea was becoming so popular during the time of Jesus that people were going to be in the king's garden and they were going to be with the king again. And here Jesus comes. Today you will be with me in the king's garden. Today you will be with me in paradise. The interesting thing there, King's Garden, is actually what they use to translate the Garden of Eden language. So Jesus is saying to this criminal, today we're going to take a walk in the Garden of Eden again. The original garden that we got kicked out of because of our sin. And in Genesis 3.24, God placed a guard over the garden. Can you hear what's amazing from Jesus today? Jesus says, I can get you back in the garden. I know the way in. I and I alone can escort you there. Why? Because he's the second Adam. He's withstood every temptation from humanity yet without sin. He's taken all the sin on himself, you'll remember. He's hanging on the cross of redemption. He's paying a debt while he hangs there and offers these words of life to another. Now he can open access to the garden for us. The guard has to move when Jesus comes through because he has a record full of paid debts and a whole host of people that he's leading in. Paul was talking about this in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 45 to 49. So it is written, the first, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam, the life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after the spiritual. The first man was the dust of the earth, and the second was a man of heaven, and the earthly man, so are those who are lost. As the heavenly man, so are those who are in heaven. And just as we have borne the image of this earthly man, so we shall bear the image of this heavenly man. By faith, we become descendants of Jesus. Jesus the Messiah, the one who hung on the cross of redemption. And it is ours only through the cross of repentance. Adam Hamilton, he talks about how in John's gospel... Jesus prayed in the garden of Gethsemane, how he was crucified in a garden called Calvary, and how he was buried in a garden next to Calvary. And then John goes on to tell us when Jesus was raised from the dead, Mary Magdalene mistook him for a gardener. And I think that's important. It's as if John's trying to tell us the gardener's here, and the gardener is victorious, and the gardener has won it. He can open up the door that has been locked for so long. He is reversing the curse that was cast in the garden. He's inviting people to paradise with him. The hardened criminal can get in. You and I can get in with him as well. It's an invitation that he extends to all of us. So the concluding question for us in this room is which of the two criminals are you most like? They looked identical. They lived lives that looked the same. But right now, one is on his way in and the other is on his way out. As the two criminals are hanging there, one is living 
an attitude of rejection to God, and the other is living an attitude of repentance to God. Right now, today, the one who repented is in heaven. And right now, today, the one who refused to repent but lived a life of rejection is in hell. There are only two ways to go, my friends. These two, like these two thieves, we are all the same. We are all guilty. We are all dying. Death is as certain of a reality for us as it was for them. Like them, we cannot earn God's salvation. And like them, there is not enough time left on the clock for us to pay it all back. And like them, for us, Jesus, my friend, he is right there. If you will just choose him, and if you'll just believe in him afresh and repent to him afresh, he is there. Seek God for God and allow him to work in your hearts. Brings us into the place where we're going to respond, but if you're looking for words to pray, it's the prayers of the repentant criminal. Jesus, I want you. Remember me. It's an eternity-shaping prayer. Jesus, I want you. Remember me. It's a wasted life erasing prayer. Jesus, I want you. Remember me. It'll make all the difference in your future. Let's set up some time to respond. I'm going to invite the band to come up. I'm going to invite you right where you are. Just bow your head. I'm just going to take a little time to sit in this to begin to conclude our gathering together today. God deserves a response. The, there's a saying, the, the same sun that melts the ice, it bakes the clay. No, none of us get out of this neutrally today. Our hearts are warmed and we're brought along, or we become hardened even here, refusing repentance and embracing an attitude of rejection. Maybe you're here today and you're not sure about the words of Jesus. I just ask, could you, could you just consider him in faith, though? Could you just take a moment to doubt the doubts that you have about him and just consider him? What if these words are true? What if this offer is genuine and legitimate? Romans chapter 10 says to you, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we too can be saved. But maybe all you have is that, just a mustard-sized faith, just a little bit of get, getting started faith. Trust in him. Pray that prayer from the cross of repentance. Jesus, I want you. Remember me when you come into your kingdom and you're in. And if that's you, in just a moment, we're going to have a time to respond. We're going to stand. We're going to sing songs. We're also going to have some time for prayer. I'm going to encourage you, come forward and allow somebody to pray for you. Share that with somebody and allow them to pray that that would remain for you. You come forward. Maybe you're also here this afternoon and you've prayed the prayer of repentance. You've lived a life in God's direction, but for some reason, something is set up on you. Your enemy who stands against you to deceive you, to take from you and to destroy you has set up lies on you. I just invite you right now just open up your hands right before you, right there in your lap. Just gently open up your hands right now. Maybe as an act of just physically surrendering and releasing to God whatever lies you've been holding on to. Lies that God doesn't love you. 
lies that God isn't for you, lies that the cross wasn't sufficient, doubts about what's going to happen in the end, doubts about how God is going to come through. Release them right here and now. You can, you can have ministry. God can minister to your spirit. Release them symbolically with open hands. Confess those to God. And in place of those lies, receive the love of God afresh. Allow him to fill you. Allow him to speak to you. He speaks a better word. And if that's you, I'm going to invite you to come forward in just a moment for prayer as well. You might not even be able to pray this prayer. You come forward and allow some people to speak the love of God over you and to pray it afresh for you in your life. Maybe you're here and you're mourning the loss of a loved one. or You're sitting here racked with fear for the loss of your own life. I encourage you as well to open up your hands. Release whatever fears to God. Most common phrase from the mouth of Jesus is fear not. 366 in all, one for every day of the year with one to spare. He says to you, fear not. With open hands, ask the Lord to comfort you. Come forward for prayer as well. Whoever you are, whatever you're dealing with, wherever you're from, however often you come through these doors, we are here to minister to you today. We don't get anything for this. It's our privilege and our joy to be able to minister to you. So whatever's in your heart, if the Lord's pricked your heart in some way, stirred a thought, he's given you a new burden, come forward. Allow a few people to minister to you in a few moments' time. Let me pray. Father in heaven, thank you for sending your son to the cross of redemption. Father, we pray that the words that he's spoken to the repentant criminal would be the words that are true over our lives today. Today, you too will be with me in paradise. God, fill us with hope. Fill us with confidence. Instill in us something deep and unshakable. We need you, God. As we sit in your presence, pray that you would minister to us. Pray that you would help us to give you the weight and the worth of our lives. Please, God, meet with us here. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stay seated. Carry on in an attitude of prayer. Open hands right where you're at. The band's going to lead us in what, for some of us, is going to be a new song. They're going to invite you to stand. When they invite you to stand, I'm going to invite you. Come on over here. Pray with us. We're here for you.